Uh, so from verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What, it is, it? what is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven, and op- he saw heaven opened and something like a, sh- a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are all aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. If I've not met you yet, my name is Bijan, the pastor for our church, and let's pray together as we prepare to look at this passage. Our God, now with our Bibles open, with this passage in front of us, we ask for the power of your spirit to make the truth that's here real and transformative in our lives. We ask you to do that for your glory and for our good as we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at RCL, we've been in a series entitled Church Alive. Each week, we're looking at a different passage from the book of Acts. Acts is the record of the first Christian church. 
And we're asking the question, what makes the church alive? The reason we're asking that question is because we want to be a church alive in London for the glory of God, but also for the good of our city. And so each week we're looking at a different passage and we're learning something about what it would mean for us to be a church alive. Now, last week we saw in our study that one of the marks, one of the features of a church that's alive is a church that is being transformed by the gospel, the good news of God in Jesus Christ. A church alive is a church that's rooted in and centered on the gospel. And today, we're going to continue thinking about the importance of the gospel in the life of the church. But today, we're looking at it from a slightly different angle. Today, what we're going to see is that when the gospel is at work in a church, it produces a community of people who are diverse and reconciled. A community of people who are deeply different and yet who live together as a family. That's one of the marks of a church alive. That's one of the marks of a church in which the gospel is powerfully at work. A few years ago, I experienced this firsthand. There was a community group in our church, and most nights, this particular community group met in a person's flat. But on this evening, they decided instead of meeting in someone's flat, they would meet out in the city at a local restaurant. Now, in this small group, in this community group, there was incredible diversity. There were people of different genders, different races, different economic and income levels. There were people who had different educational backgrounds. So you had in this one small group of this church, you had people who looked different, talked different, and about many important things thought very differently. But what brought them together as a community was the fact that they were loved by Jesus Christ. And so they're out one evening having a meal in a restaurant, and they're there chatting and laughing and just enjoying time together. And all of a sudden, a woman from a nearby table walks over to this small group, and she says, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I have to ask, how is it that you all know each other? And the group was taken aback and said, well, we, we go to the same church and, you know, that's how we know each other. And when I talked to the leader of that small group about that incident after that encounter, what he said to me was this woman, when she asked the question, how do you all know each other? She wasn't just curious, but she was filled with longing. She was wondering how these people who were obviously so different were able to have such a common bond she saw them as they ate and they laughed and they talked. She saw from that table emanate a sense of belonging, a sense of family. And she wanted to know, how does that happen? Unity amid diversity is one of the things that Jesus said would always mark his church. And it's one of the great longings of our world at a time where things are so tribal, so polarized. This kind of unity amidst diversity is a stunning thing to behold. It's the longing of our world. It's the longing of our city. Emmanuel Katongale writes about this beautiful power of Christian witness in a reconciled community. Emmanuel Katongale says this, We, the church, are called to be strange in the same way that the early Christian communities were strange to the world around them. 
The community in Antioch, that was one of the early cities of Christianity, the community in Antioch brought together Jews and Samaritans, Greeks and Romans, slaves and free men and women in a way that was so confusing to the people around them that they didn't know what to call them. So they called them Christian. The only way they knew how to describe their peculiar actions was to say that these were followers of an odd preacher from Galilee. And the world is longing for such new and odd communities in our time. Acts 10, the passage that we just read, describes when this strange and beautiful community started. This passage tells us about the first time the Christian church truly lived into its ideal of unity amongst diversity, of being a reconciled community. And here's what you need to see. This passage is incredibly important in the book of Acts. It's actually the longest single narrative in the whole book. It's so long that we couldn't even give you the whole thing. We just read excerpts of it. And not only is it the longest single story, but it's also repeated two more times in Acts. So for Luke, the author, this is a critically important story. And when you read Acts 10, it would be easy to think that on the surface, this passage is about the conversion of Cornelius. And that's true. That's part of what's going on. But actually, the deeper meaning of this story is not about the conversion of Cornelius. It's actually about the conversion of Peter. This story is about how Peter, someone who believed in Jesus, someone who was actually a preacher, he was a pastor, experienced such a transformative work of the gospel that his life was never changed after this moment. It's my hope that we today will experience the gospel that Peter did, that we would be able to experience this kind of transformation so that we too can be a church alive in our city, that Reality Church London can show forth the reconciling power of God to create a diverse and reconciled community. That's what we're looking at here in Acts 10, Peter's conversion and how it's possible. So three things to guide our time together as we look at this incredibly important passage. First and briefly, we'll ask, why did Peter need a conversion? Then second, how was Peter converted? That's where we'll spend the most time today. And then third, how you too can be converted. So why did Peter need a conversion? How did it actually happen in Peter's life? And then last, how can we be a community that's changed in the ways that Peter was? So first, why did Peter need a conversion? And here's the answer in a sentence. Peter had prejudice in his heart. Peter here, a believer in Jesus, a leader in the church, and yet he had prejudice. Now, the word racism wasn't really a word that existed in the first century, but that's the closest word we have to describe what was going on in Peter's heart. He had prejudice, or you might say racism, towards other people. Let me illustrate that to you. Peter and Cornelius are the two main characters of this story. And they are ethnically and culturally incredibly different. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a Roman citizen. He lives in the land of Israel, but that's not where he's from. He's from elsewhere. And so he is very different. Peter is a Jewish man. He is Jewish in culture, Jewish in his religion. And so you have at the outset these two people who are deeply different from each other, Jew and Gentile. 
But not only were those communities different, but they were divided. In the first century, these were not just two communities who existed, but they often had hostility. They would oftentimes experience conflict and tension and violence. There was not just difference, but there was division. And so those divisions caused these two communities to stay at a distance. And so now here we are in the book of Acts. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth into the world. And yet, even in the church, even in this first Christian community, there was not an association of Jew and Gentile. Those two communities were kept distant until Acts 10. And here God says that barrier, that wall of division that's keeping these people apart, it's time to tear it down. And the way that God was going to tear that barrier down was through the conversion of Peter. Acts 10 is where God comes and he actually says to Peter, we've got to deal with that deep prejudice and racism in your heart. And Peter here in Acts 10 is going to experience the very fundamental truth that the gospel, which reconciles people to God, also and inevitably reconciles people to each other. Peter here in this chapter is going to experience the truth that the Apostle Paul would later make clear in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read these verses to you. Paul there in Ephesians 2 is thinking about Jew and Gentile. And he says in Ephesians 2, Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. And he destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. The same gospel that reconciles you to God, reconciles people to each other. And Peter needed to experience that. And that's what we see in Acts 10. Why did Peter need a conversion? Because there was prejudice. But now let's turn our attention and for the bulk of our sermon, consider how did it happen? How was Peter converted? How can we experience the gospel in such a way that we live into this beautiful value of being a diverse and a reconciled community for things that God does to show Peter the full beauty of the gospel. The first thing, God gives Peter a new way of thinking. Now, let me just give you a bit more of the context of our story. We've read it, but let me just unpack some of the details. In verses one through eight, we're introduced to this man, Cornelius. We've already said he's a Gentile, and he's a very significant citizen. He leads a large part of the army. He is morally upstanding. This is a really good guy in the community. And the text also tells us that he's a God-seeker. He's someone who is praying, and he's seeking after God. He wants to have a relationship with God. So God sends an angel to Cornelius... And the angel says to Cornelius, basically, look, there's a guy in Joppa, his name is Peter, send some of your servants, fetch Peter, bring Peter back to your house, and Peter will tell you everything you need to know. So that's what happens in verses 1 through 8. Then the scene shifts. And in verse 9, we begin to see what God's going to do with Peter. So we have Peter one day minding his own business in Joppa, that's where he was living, and he goes up to pray. He's on the rooftop of his home, which would be a pretty normal place to pray and have your quiet time. So Peter goes up to his roof and he's praying. And the text says that he's hungry. It's lunchtime. 
and he falls into a trance. He has a kind of vision. And here's what happens in his vision. As he's praying and he's hungry, I admit this vision is a little strange to us with our modern ears, but here's what God did. In the vision, a sheet comes down from heaven, and on that sheet are all kinds of animals. And then a voice says to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Ostensibly saying, you're hungry, there's animals, kill them, cook them, and eat them. But look at what Peter says, verse 14. Surely not, Lord. Now, by the way, whenever you say no and Lord, chances are you're going to lose in that side of the bargain. But Peter says, surely not, Lord. And notice what he says. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, what's going on? Oh, friends, this is about much more than what's for lunch. You see, Peter, remember, is a Jewish man. And as a Jewish man, he was raised with a dietary law. Certain foods, certain animals were not allowed by him or his community to be eaten. And yet when God gives him this vision of animals to eat, he recognizes those animals, we don't eat them. These are forbidden by our law. These are forbidden by our tradition. My people don't eat those kinds of animals. And so what Peter's saying here in verse 14, I'll never do that. I won't eat those kind of animals because it's not just breaking a rule, but it's betraying my people. It's betraying my identity. But then look at what God does in verse 15. As Peter is mounting his defense, surely not, Lord, that's unclean. We don't eat that. Verse 15, the voice says to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, God is giving Peter new information. And here's what God is saying in a nutshell. The old way of thinking, the differences that you have that become sources of division, the ways your community is identified in such a way that you see yourself as superior to and divided from others, those ways of thinking need to come down. And God uses the illustration of food to eat to say, I have now created a community that's meant to be reconciled. And yes, there are differences. There are differences in our church. There are differences in all human communities. Those are meant to be celebrated. But the differences are never to be made sources of division. And God says, I've torn down the wall, the barrier that separates you. So anything that I've made clean, don't call impure. In other words, to say it real simply, what God's saying to Peter is this. You can eat those foods, but you can also associate with the people who eat them too. God is giving Peter new information. He's giving him a new way of thinking about how to relate, how to interact, how to think about who he can be in relationship with. And God is saying, I want you to think about the gospel as being for all people. Because the community the gospel produces is a diverse and reconciled one. That's the first thing. God gives Peter a new way of thinking. Don't call anything that I've made clean impure. But the second thing God does, very importantly, is God now brings Peter into proximity with Cornelius. He's got to get close. Here's what's really interesting to me. Remember, there's two events that happen in the early part of our passage. The first is Cornelius is praying. 
and he wants to know God, so God sends an angel. And the angel says to Cornelius, send some of your servants, have them go to Joppa, and Peter will come and tell you what to do. But here's what's fascinating to me. When the angel showed up to Cornelius, why didn't the angel just say to Cornelius, hey, you want to know what the gospel is? Guess what? I'm an angel. I'm an expert in the gospel. Let me tell you all about it. The angel could have done that. And yet, as the angel comes to Cornelius, the angel doesn't say, here's the gospel. The angel says, you need Peter. Why? Notice not even that. The angel doesn't tell Cornelius, you go to Peter's house. All of this depends on Peter going to Cornelius. And why does that matter so much? It's because remember, this story is about Peter's conversion. And the only way that Peter would be really changed is not just getting new information, not just reading a book, as important as books are, but he had to go and sit at Cornelius' table. He had to make himself vulnerable. He had to go to where Cornelius lived and make himself dependent on Cornelius' hospitality. Because you see, by going to Cornelius' house, guess what? Peter loses power. He's not in control. He becomes the one who's powerless. And he's dependent on receiving from someone else. Someone who he was, up till this point, isolated from and divided with. And so what this passage is showing us is the way we change, the way we become a truly diverse and reconciled community is by getting close. In relationship with people who are different than us. Peter had to make himself vulnerable to Cornelius. He had to open himself up to Cornelius to put himself in a position where he was receiving from Cornelius. This is what's happening. Peter had to get proximate. And then the third thing, not only did Peter get new information, did he have this new way of getting close to another person, but the third thing that God does in this story, God gives Peter a new way of living. After Peter goes to Cornelius' house, he preaches the gospel, and Cornelius and his family respond and are saved. Look at what happens in verse 34. This is towards the end of what you have there. In verse 34, Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Now, that word favoritism literally means to lift up your face. It means to make judgments about a person based upon observable and external features, like the way somebody looks or how they're dressed or the way they talk. And Peter says, I realize now that God doesn't play favorites. But here's what's stunning. Notice Peter says, I now realize. I now realize. That's very interesting because remember, Peter's an expert in the Old Testament. Peter's a pastor, he's a minister. His job is to help people know the Bible. And guess what? Throughout the Old Testament, God says, I don't play favorites. I don't show favoritism. So if you were to ask Peter before Acts chapter 10, hey, does God play favorites? Peter would have said, of course he doesn't. And he could have given you chapter and verse in the Old Testament to make clear, yeah, God doesn't have favorites. But what Peter says here in Acts 10 is so significant. He says, I now realize in other words, the information that I had in my head is now down in my heart. What I used to know just as a proposition, I'm now learning as a lived reality. 
that the body of God, the body of God's people is meant to be much bigger and much larger than I ever realized. It really is a diverse community and God doesn't show favoritism. I used to know it just as a proposition, but now I know it as a lived reality in my life experience. God doesn't play favorites. So what happened is Peter's got a new content, he's gotten a new experience coming into relationship with Cornelius and he now is living out truth that he's always known. Which leads then to the last point of today's sermon. How can we be this kind of diverse and reconciled community? How can we live like Peter did, transformed by the gospel? And the answer is in verse 36. Peter, as he preaches, Peter, as he shares the gospel, says this, verse 36 of our passage, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And that phrase there at the end, that's the truth. Jesus is the Lord of all. He's not the Lord of one nation, not the Lord of one culture. He's not the Lord at one place in the world but he is the Lord of all peoples of all times and all places. This is the gospel for everyone. And the same gospel which reconciles people to God reconciles them to each other. And Peter here in Acts 10 experiences that for the first time in a powerful way. But how did he do it? How did he know? It's because Jesus, who is the Lord of all, had shown Peter through his own life how we're to pursue the outsider. Peter would have remembered the life of Jesus, that all through Jesus's life, Jesus was constantly going after the people who were marginalized, who were on the outside, who were oppressed. For example, John chapter four, there's a passage where Jesus is thirsty and he's in the area of Samaria, a community of people that were racially different and isolated. And Jesus, as he's there sitting at the well at Samaria, a woman comes by. And this woman asks, uh, what are you doing? And Jesus says to her, could you give me a glass of water? Jesus makes himself vulnerable and dependent upon the hospitality of an outsider. And in that, she is changed, she is transformed, she's brought into God's family. Or... uh, bit of time later, Jesus in Luke 19, he's on his way into the city of Jericho. And as he's there on his way to Jericho, there's a little man named Zacchaeus. Literally a little man. He couldn't, he was too short to see, so he climbed up into a tree. And as he's there looking down on Jesus, Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, I've got to stay at your house today. Now Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was hated. He got no invites to come over for a meal. Everyone in the community would have despised Zacchaeus. And yet Jesus, when he comes into town, he looks right at him and says, I have an appointment with you today. I need to come and sit at your table. In other words, Peter would have remembered Jesus throughout his life is pursuing the outsider. He's going after the people that everyone else marginalized and forgot about. And now Peter here in Acts 10, as he's thinking about Jesus, as God meets him in this vision, he realizes, wait a second. There is no barrier anymore. Jesus himself crossed the barrier. Jesus himself crushed the barrier when he died on the cross. 
that through his sacrifice, the barriers that kept people apart were actually torn down. And now that they're turned down by what Jesus did, they need to be torn down in my heart. And so Jesus says to Peter, I'm the Lord of all, and it falls, the penny drops, and Peter realizes, yes, the same gospel that reconciles me to God reconciles me to others. And so you know what Peter does? This is where we'll close our sermon. Peter goes, he meets Cornelius, he preaches the gospel, and then the most stunning thing in the whole passage It's not actually printed in the verses that we gave you. But after all of this is done, after Peter preaches, after Cornelius and his family believe in Jesus, you know, mission accomplished. Peter did his job. He could have left. But now Jew and Gentile together in the same house, verse 48 of the passage says this, they were baptized. Then Cornelius asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And Peter stayed. And that's the stunning truth that the gospel brings. It brings about a community of people who actually learn to live together and share life as a family. Peter, who said, it's against the law for me to hang out with you, is now staying the night and receiving the hospitality of Cornelius. That's the kind of community that we can be, a diverse and reconciled community. And so as we come now to our time of response, here's the question. Whose table do you sit at? And who sits at your table? It's no wonder that this story is all about food. Food is a place of intimacy. It's a place of connection and sharing. And so I ask you, whose table do you sit at? Who are the people that shape you? What are the voices that contribute to who you are and the way you live and the way you think? If those people all look like you, if they all went to the same schools as you, if they all make the same amount of money as you do, the chances are that we need a conversion experience like Peter had. Who sits at your table? And whose table will you sit at? That's the question that the gospel asks us and it invites us to be a truly diverse and reconciled community for God's glory and the good of our city. Let's pray for that as we pray now together. Our God, thank you for this time to look at Acts 10 and to consider the gospel which dramatically and wonderfully reshapes our community. God, we thank you for what you've done and are doing here at Reality Church London. We thank you for our community and the ways you are at work. And we beg you for more. We beg for more of your spirit to help us be, to live into the reality of a community that's unified even amidst diversity. That we would be reconciled while we celebrate our differences. Help us to be this kind of community because we are settled and rooted in Jesus, the one who pursued the outsider all the way to the cross. May his love and may his grace be more real to us today. May we encounter him in this time of response. We pray this for his glory, for our good, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.